Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings, where we debate, discuss, and dive into law-related issues important to all of us. I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Heslin, Rothenberg, Farley, and Messier. On this week's Miranda Warnings, we're going to be talking about a new Bar Association Task Force that's been formed to address issues related to solo and small firm practitioners, uh, specifically resulting from issues arising out of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. Uh, with us today are the co-chairs of that task force, June Castellano and Dominic Napolitano. Welcome, June and Dominic. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. How are you, how are you doing? We're doing okay. Hanging in. June Castellano is a private practitioner in Rochester. Her, her emphasis is on family law. And uh, she's a former member of the New York State uh, Bar Association's Executive Committee. Now, uh, very pleased to have her co-chairing the task force on solo and small firm practice. And Dominic Napolitano is the treasurer of the New York State Bar Association currently. Uh, he's a practice, sole practitioner as well and uh, he will be serving as co-chair. It's great to have you both here. It's great to hear you both. As you both know, the impact of the coronavirus and the related shutdown is devastating to most small businesses. And, you know, more than 50% of New York State Bar Association members are solo or, or with small firms. And so attorneys are experiencing some of the same problems as other small businesses, naturally. Uh, New York State Bar Association's president, Hank Greenberg, uh, formed a task force that you're chairing to look at these issues and see how we can help. So uh, let me ask you, June, what's, what's the big issue that we're hearing from the attorneys that you're working with right now? What's the, the, the problem that we're seeing? We're hearing that they have major concerns about what kind of work they can do, how they are able, will be able to continue to represent their clients in a way that will allow them to provide the best possible services they can. We are hearing a number of issues about uh, trying to interpret some of the guidance that's coming out about how to work remotely and what are essential services, and as well as, of course, the major concern being how do we keep the doors open, the economic concerns affecting them. Yes, uh, we just had there's an executive order today about uh, lawyers uh, and how they fit in with the uh, issue of uh, essential services. Uh, you can see the guidelines on the Empire State Development website at esd.ny.gov. Uh, and they talk about, uh, in particular, what lawyers are considered uh, to be uh, in, involved in essential services and the type of uh, restrictions that lawyers uh, are subject to. You can find that uh, on the ESD website and on the New York State Bar Association's website. Uh, Dominic, let me ask you, uh, this task force was formed relatively quickly in response to this uh, by our president, Hank Greenberg. Uh, tell me the, the, the types of members that we have on, on this committee and, and the groups that we're trying to address. Well, Dave, the committee's composition is made up of attorneys 
that are representatives throughout the state. We have people from rural areas on the committee, people from major cities on the committee, and their practice areas are as diverse as the state of New York is in terms of geographics. We do have uh, a, a very diverse uh, group in the New York State Bar Association. Like I said, more than 50% are either solo or, or small firm members, and so this is uh, directly relevant to them. Uh, you mentioned uh, rural areas. Uh, June, are we seeing any particular uh, issues impacting attorneys that are practicing in rural areas that uh, uh, are affected by this uh, We definitely. We definitely are. Um, in addition to the same issues that would be affecting attorneys no matter where they are located throughout New York State, there are particular problems facing those in the rural areas. For example, one thing we've heard frequently is insufficient broadband access and the problems not just that the attorneys themselves are having, but their local town and village courts. The other problem is because we have a shortage of lawyers in uh, rural areas that the concern is if um, one or more lawyers are not able to function um, sufficiently that there isn't anyone else to take up the slack. So uh, there are a lot of concerns that rural um, practitioners do have. Yes, and these are especially uh, present when we have, when you're in a, a solo or small firm, more, more particularly if you're a solo practitioner and you become ill uh, or, you know, pass away, uh, there's the issue of continuity of practice with respect to all the clients that uh, still need to have Issued issues that are addressed. Uh, tell me, um, both of you, what are the what are some of the other issues that this task force is going to be looking at? I know you've already had a meeting, um, and so you're acting very quickly. And, and some of the needs obviously are are very current. But uh, what are some of the issues that you think we're going to be looking at coming up? So, Dave, what we've been what we've done as a task force is that we've subdivided the uh, task force into six different groups with co-chairs and chairs uh, for each of them. Uh, I'm co-chairing the economic assistance to members subcommittee of the task force along with uh, Richie Gutierrez. And one of the things that we've looked at, and we did this very early on, is the economic impact of the coronavirus on our members. So we've examined uh, what is uh, what the CARE Act provides for, uh, we've looked into the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, which is uh, uh, referred to as IDLE, uh, which is applied through the SBA. You can go right on the SBA website and make application for it. Uh, along with that, uh, what we've learned and what the, uh, what the program provides for is a loan that will can provide up to $10,000 in funds uh, to uh, applicants. The loan need not be repaid. Uh, the claim is that you'll receive the money within three days. I made an application within two days after the program was advertised, and I know people that did it the very first day were well past the three-day limit. Uh, no monies have been received, but again, we're dealing with the federal government, so that's not unusual uh, in that respect. Uh, we looked at the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, uh, which is referred to as the PPP program. 
that's administered through a bank and the bank that administers it is your primary bank. So where you have your accounts, whether it's your business account, escrow accounts, uh, a bank that you have a primary relationship with is whom you apply to uh, for that program. There are some banks that are not yet up and running. Uh, Citibank, for example, uh, where I do my banking, has not yet opened the portal for the application process. I have banks uh, that have uh, said that they probably will only limit uh, their uh, their program to clients who have uh, only mortgage applications with them or mortgage loans, I should say, with them. Uh, it's kind of scattered. There's no uniformity as to what's going on there. But it's administered through a bank. Uh, you can apply to them for a loan. Uh, the loan will be forgiven so long, so long as it's used for payroll. Uh, it could be used for payroll, rents, uh, and other things to keep you up and running. That process is going to take a while before people see money there as well. And most of the money, I think, is pretty much gone at this point because there are just way too many applicants for the amount of money that's uh, that's there. Uh, is the task force going to be providing any assistance to attorneys that might be having trouble uh, accessing some of these loans? What I heard yesterday is that uh, there will be a directive coming down, not from us, uh, I believe, but from the chief judge, uh, Janet De Fury, that uh, large firms will be providing uh, uh, pro bono assistance to small and solo practitioners who wish to make application for these loans that I just mentioned. Very good. And Dave, yes, I, can, I can speak to um, some of the other um, subcommittee efforts. We have a total of six subcommittees. Uh, one other one that we've already touched on is we have a specific subcommittee looking at rural area, uh, rural issues in particular, making sure that the other subcommittees are taking into consideration those specific needs. But two of the other um, subcommittees um, are, are worth mentioning. One is access to legal services. That's kind of an umbrella catch-all that pulls in monitoring um, how uh, the courts are functioning, what are the directives coming from the chief judge with respect to uh, remote operations of the courts, as well as gradually bringing on more areas beyond what has been deemed already so far emergency matters. In addition, uh, as we mentioned a few moments ago, we had looked at, because we had heard a number of um, complaints about acknowledgments not falling under the umbrella of the virtual notarization policy that was announced by Governor Cuomo several executive orders ago. And as a result, county clerks were not taking items for recording. Title companies throughout the state weren't taking them. We are gratified to see the latest executive order where the governor very specifically mentions statutory sites that are permitted to be taken in that matter. We still believe, though, that we will likely have to follow up with that to make sure that county clerks and title companies fully understand that those are items now that should be taken. That was a concern of that committee. In addition, um, we have looked at um, how attorneys 
um, can and, and, and should be practicing under all of the executive orders. So including the one that was just released that you mentioned today uh, by the governor's office regarding um, by the Empire State Development Corporation regarding attorney services. And there are a number of different places in all of these executive orders and guidelines from the Empire State Development Corporation that we're pulling together and we will do another um, blast to members so that they can understand, for example, if they're solo they can, and they're alone, they can go into their office. Um, similarly, there are other um, notations um, from the Empire State Development Corporation that real estate um, services uh, can be essential. Uh, taking somebody's um, uh, attestation for wills or um, acknowledgments for other um, end-of-life documents, powers of attorney, etc. Those are all uh, fall under the umbrella of essential as well. So there's a lot of confusion out there, and, and naturally so. Uh, this is this is unprecedented uh, in in anyone's time. So trying to pull all the information together very quickly is a primary focus of our task force so that we can get the word out to folks. To that end, one of our subcommittees is actually entitled um, Direct Information to Members so that we can coordinate amongst the subcommittees. Uh, and then the other subcommittee that I just wanted to quickly mention is one dealing specifically with mandated representation. Those are the attorneys who work as 18B assigned counsel, who work as uh, attorneys for the children, uh, and who also work within the federal courts as uh, assigned counsel. And there was a concern that we had heard, and it was identified early on, since the work had come to us still in that the courts are, are, are restricted and in, in, in their operations, therefore payments for vouchers for these uh, attorneys could also not be forthcoming. So this particular subcommittee has done a heroic effort in going around the state, reaching out to um, assigned counsel coordinators, reaching out to federal court uh, chief judges, and reaching out to appellate division uh, presiding justices prior to explain the situation, and they've had a tremendous response. There's still more work to be done that they continue to do, but we're very gratified that the folks that they've reached out to have been very receptive in saying, yes, we will allow those vouchers to come in on an interim basis. We will issue special orders so that they don't have to go through the normal procedural approval channels. So that's gratifying to, to hear. So uh, that's kind of uh, breaking news a, a little bit because we're seeing a little bit of a change in how attorneys that are working as assigned counsel in state and federal mandated representation cases are able to uh, receive compensation. And uh, the standard vouchering payment system um, has been modified, I guess, right, to, to make it a little bit easier for uh, attorneys to uh, submit uh, vouchers. In, in many, yes, in many places around the state, we it is not uniform yet. I don't want to communicate that message, but we are we have made tremendous headway, and we plan on going all the way with it. Well, was, we, we're in no. New York State, so um, I don't think anyone would expect it to be uniform, right? 
That's probably true. Uh, Dave, if I can just touch <laughs> yes, upon please. one of the items that uh, June mentioned, the direct information to member subcommittee, uh, which is co-chaired by myself and June. And we have Susan DeSantis on that committee in order to get all of the information that we just talked about into one central location. So we've been working with uh, both Pam and with Ron, who was our liaison to the subcommittee, to the task force, I'm sorry, to try to get that coordination done so that we can either have a link to the COVID-19 link that's on the NISBA webpage or our own community page where we can disseminate all of this information to our members in one piece. Because right now there is information that's scattered across the association uh, and everywhere else that we need to get to the members uh, you know, much more cohesively. Uh, there's one other uh, subcommittee that I want to talk about, which is law office management. Uh, and again, we started this very early on in getting information to our members on how they can uh, provide, you know, services to their clients by working remotely at home and giving them the assistance in order to be able to get there. Uh, and the, one of the things that we've been doing as well is uh, dealing with various other committees within the Bar Association. For example, the Committee on Technology and Legal Profession, uh, Mark Berman, whom you know, uh, has been very active in helping us in getting programs out of that committee uh, to the Bar. So he's working on a CLE that will deal specifically with assisting uh, small and uh, solo practitioners on how to access uh, their offices remotely and how to work remotely uh, because of the pandemic. Yes, uh, uh, Mark Berman and the, and the Committee on Technology and the Legal Profession has is, is actually been very active in providing guidance to attorneys that are working remotely. Uh, the information that you're talking about, certainly, regarding the task force, uh, regarding the uh, New York State Bar Association's uh, coronavirus efforts can be found on the Bar Association's website at nysba.org. And the uh, coronavirus efforts are front and center on the Bar Association's website. June, I want to ask you about something that you mentioned when you were talking about some things that the committees were working on. Uh, but there was a, a new executive order addressing remote witnessing of documents uh, that clarifies the requirements needed to allow remote signings of such documents as deeds or wills or powers of attorney, healthcare proxies, all things that are obviously of crucial importance. And the fact that we can now have the ability to do some of these remotely uh, even more important. Can you tell us a little bit about that new executive order? Yes, and it also applies to attestation of witnesses, which, uh, so this has been um, issued in two different um, executive orders. The first permitted the um, virtual notarization of um, any any act that um, is, any any oath or um, any um, other sworn statement or acknowledgement. And it's a process. It's um, uh, quite a, a, an involved process, but if you do it probably more than once, you'll get the hang of it. Um, you don't have to be in the physical presence of someone. You have to be in the virtual presence. So that means they have to be in front of you on a screen. 
And it could be through Zoom, it could be through Skype, it could be through FaceTime, any, any manner in which you are able to have a visual communication with someone. And you have to watch them sign it. And if so, you, don't, you could, uh, so Joan, uh, June, just to be clear, so someone could, could notarize a document uh, conceivably by watching someone remotely, let's say on a video conference via their cell phone. Is that, is that what you're Yes, that is correct. But Do you have to have a recording of that? Is, is it enough to say that I witnessed it via cell phone? Do I have to have a recording of it in case it's uh, requested? I think it would be enough for someone to simply attest to the fact that they saw someone signing it by virtue of a remote access. But what I want to point out is that even though the executive order speaks to that, some county clerks throughout the state are not uh, abiding by it. So you have some counties that will not accept, uh, even though the governor has decreed it, a virtual uh, attestation to a document. Is there a separate? Uh, is there a separate uh, type of attestation that a notary would provide if they witnessed it virtually rather than live? Is there a uh, different kind of language that you would see? Well, I think the language would. I'm sorry, June. I think the language would simply reflect. The, uh, the the matter in which the uh, the signature was placed on the document. I don't think there's anything more specific that needs to be provided. But again, I think the issue is not so much the mechanics on how it's done. It's that after it's done, some counties are not accepting documents for filing, such as deeds and real estate matters. Uh, and in that respect, some title companies are not willing to issue a policy of insurance even though everything has been done according to the governor's order. So Dominic, how would it, if, if I were to witness your signature on a deed, let's say remotely, and then I wanted to notarize that document, how, how would I do that? I would notarize the, the, the blank sheet here, or I'd notarize, you'd send me the document, I'd notarize it here and then send it back to you? Is that how it would work? Well, it's not the document itself that actually then has the fixation of the, of the notary. It's a document that the notary will sign that basically attests to the fact that he saw the signature being placed. I see. Okay. Yeah. And so, then, so, so the document would the document that's signed would have a, a second page to it with the notary's attestation. Correct. Okay. And if I may, um, yes. David, uh, there are um, the the provisions that we're talking about are specifically contained in Governor Cuomo's Executive Order 202.7. So anyone who is listening can, can review those criteria um, word for word. I should say, too, though, that if it's somebody who's not personally known to you, they actually have to hold up a valid photo ID to the screen uh, as you're watching um, to be able to have that proof of who they are. Um, also in the video conference, they have to be, you have to be able to have a direct interaction between the person uh, signing and the notary. And um, you have to, so in other words, you have to, to, to take the signature the same way that you would in that, you know, are you really this, this person, et cetera, uh, and so on. And then the person who signs it has to then turn around and send a legible copy of the signed document back to the notary on the same day it's signed. And then um, the notary can either 
repeat the notarization onto the original signed document, or as you heard from Dominic, um, uh, on, on, a, on a separate sheet. But the idea is that there is a very much so a process that has to be followed carefully. So I would urge folks to take a look at line by line the requirements in Executive Order 202.7. What I would also add is that the second executive order that has come out um, on this issue makes it very clear that this also applies to attestation of witnesses for wills, which is a very important thing, of course, because um, that is something that wasn't clear in this first um, this first document. Well, very good. Thank you for that uh, explanation and update on attestations. Uh, is there any any upcoming activity uh, with the task force that uh, we should be looking for? Well, we have another meeting of the entire task force this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, we try to keep a schedule of these meetings at least once a week. The subcommittees uh, and their chairs uh, dictate their own schedule and then report back uh, to the full committee uh, when the full committee meets. And as I said, we're meeting this coming Tuesday afternoon. Well, great. Uh, June Castellano, Dominic Napolitano, thank you for your time with us here in Miranda Warnings. Thank you for your service to our New York State Bar Association in the past and for your stepping up uh, now in this time of need to co-chair our new task force on solo and small firm practice formed by President Hank Greenberg. Uh, thank you both very much. Thank you, David. Thank you for your time as well. Yes, that's all that you do. Yes, uh, we have, these are all obviously very uh, serious and important topics. We have something of a lighthearted feature on Miranda Warnings uh, called Music Book or Movie, where you can share uh, any type of performance that is meaning to you, uh, especially in these times of uh, shutdown and lockdown. Uh, we're often looking for something of substance that uh, can take or occupy our mind uh, when we're trying to get away from uh, the issues of the day. So, uh, June, do you, have, do you have something for us? Well, I enjoy um, 12 months out of the year, uh, not just now. I enjoy um, Italian culture, popular culture, and history. I'm trying to improve my, my language speaking skills. But um, so I have been uh, doing a little bit more of my binge watching lately with Italian movies um, and, and also Italian cartoons. So this is really going to be a little bit lighthearted here. But I do recommend for anyone who is attempting to learn the Italian language that you listen to Peppa the Pig Italiano. Um, it's an excellent way to learn a language and an excellent way also to get a diversion from some of the heaviness of the time to watch a cartoon, then get something out of it intellectually by learning a foreign language too. Well, very good. Uh, June, that's uh, Peppa the Pig in Italian, you're saying is uh, yes. worthwhile? 
Yes. Okay. So that's 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 my go-to diversion of the moment. Well, let's see. And and how's your Italian language coming? Well, I've been studying on and off pretty much my adult life, but these last eight years I've been making a concerted effort. So um, I've been taking classes where we're actually reading literature, um, not cartoon stuff. And um, so uh, The Leopard in Italian, Il Gatto Pardo, and then this course I was taking and unfortunately got cut short this semester was Il Giardino dei Fizzi Contini, which is the Garden of the Fizzi Contini. Um, it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough to read novels in a foreign language, um, but uh, I've been getting through them and, and my language is improving, but the next time I go to Italy to visit relatives, they'll, they'll, they'll be the judge of that. Well, that's great, June. Uh, as you know, Miranda Warnings is very popular in Italy where it's known as Avertimenti Miranda. Um, so Excellent. I'm told. <laughs> Dominic? Excellent. Uh, well, I, I'm, uh, I'm not taking up Italian because I've lived it my entire life, though I'm fluent in the language. Uh, I've read those two books that June just described. They're both excellent. So to get a diversion from that, uh, I, I read uh, Unto the Sons by Gates Lease uh, about a year or so ago. It's a 750-page book. It chronicles his family's life story from a small town in Calabria, where I understand June's family comes from as well, uh, through the wars uh, of uh, the unification of Italy in 1860. Uh, right through the uh, World War II. So it's it's quite an interesting book. It has some interesting stories within the story in it. I would recommend that very highly to anyone. Uh, and if anyone wants to binge on a movie, I find uh, the movie Once Upon a Time in America to be absolutely fascinating. It's a four-hour movie. It chronicles the life of four boys uh, in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, uh, and their rise to fame and glory uh, throughout their lives. Not in a nice way, but uh, but nonetheless in a very interesting way. Okay, th thank you, Dominic. Unto the Sons, uh, and uh, that takes place in Calabria in yes, the, the 19th century. And uh, uh, June, you, you, you recommended Il Gattopardo. That is also, right, isn't that around the mid-19th century? It's a, Yes, it's the late uh, 19th century. It's after the um, unification of Italy, and it takes place in Sicily. Very good. So we have a little Italian flavor uh, on this week's uh, Miranda Warnings. So thank you very, very much, both of you, June Castellano and Dominic Napolitano. Please stay well. And uh, thank you for your work. Thank you, Dave. You stay well as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Miranda Warnings. I encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to Miranda Warnings, a NISBA podcast, available on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.